So I'm a fan of the fanny pack. Are there any other fanny pack fans? You go on vacation and you wear one because they're awesome. Nobody else wears these. I'm, I'm the only idiot in the room, right? Hey, there is so much value to wearing a fanny pack. Not, not only do you get one that's the color of your favorite team, Clemson, but uh, that's right. Uh, but uh, what's cool about these is if you're a student at school, you put all your pencils in here, you put your cell phone in here, you put your pencil sharpener in here. Back when I was in school, we had flavored toothpicks, and, and, and we would we'd carry them to school, and we were nerds, and we just thought that was fun. But, uh, you know, you can put your protractors and rulers and, and, and all those things, if, if that'll fit in here. I'm not quite sure if this, this has got the size of that, but, uh, but if, they're great if you go to school. They're also great if you go to Disney, right? You're at Disney World. You're in the small. You're in the. You're in the Magic Kingdom. Your child's getting ready to ride on Small World. They say, "Here, Dad, you know, they start handing you stuff." Well, what do you do? Cha-ching! It's the fanny pack time. Unzip that bad boy. Start shoving the pacifier and the bottle, and you got you got a mess of stuff. You got that seventeen dollar taco down in there that that you didn't finish, but you sure ain't gonna throw it away because that thing was seventeen bucks. And you found a little guacamole down there. You're going to dip, you know, that kind of thing. You, you, you use it for Disney. You can also use it for date. Guys, I'm just telling you, women love fanny packs. I'm just telling you, women love fanny packs. And here's what's cool about them. I've been married for 22 years. And here's what I've learned about being married is that, uh, you know, what's cool about this is, is you know, it'll, it'll carry your phone. It'll carry your wallet you know, your phone charger, all that kind of stuff. But then you say, hey, baby, I can carry your lip gloss in here too. And that will get her smiling. But the beauty is, look, it's like, hey, I got, I got it all right here so we can hold hands, right? There's nothing in the hands. It's all in the fanny pack. So you can date now. You can hold hands. You can open the car door, close the door, treat her real nice. You're not having to juggle lots of things. Wear the pack. I'm telling you, if you, if you do this and Instagram me, I'll give you something. Like, I'll, I'll buy you something. I, I'm going to see that. And the last place, the great place to wear a fanny pack is at home. Now, when I'm at home on the couch, there's several things that are near and dear to my heart. One is my cell phone because I want to follow Twitter and Instagram and Facebook at times and find out how, you know, news or how my team's doing or what my kids are doing. I follow my kids on social media. Where are they? Well, hold on a second. Let me, you know, let, let me find out where they are, right? But, uh, you know, if I'm on my couch and I'm hungry and I'm watching the game, what do I do? I pull out the phone, text the kids in another part of the house. Hey, hey, I want y'all to go make me some popcorn. Boom, phone goes back in the fanny pack. Popcorn arrives three minutes later. So it's just a beautiful invention, beautiful invention. But what makes the fanny pack, in my opinion, so awesome is that it really is one size fits all. I mean, there's probably a lot of people in this room who could wear this and we're all different sizes. So one size can, can literally, I mean, this one thing can fit lots of different kinds of people. And, and, the, and, the, and the side benefit beauty of that is you can kind of customize it to your fit. Now, this is where it gets interesting. I'm going to drop the fanny pack in the invisible hole in the stage. Cha-ching. Um, this is where it gets interesting. A lot of times when it comes to God, we want to create this one-size-fits-all image of God. Or, in other words, we want to take that one-size-fits-all and then customize it to what we want in God. 
And Pastor Jonathan has done a fantastic job of walking us through all the other distorted images of God that we all have. But the one that I want to talk to you about today is how sometimes we can desire and want to customize who we want God to be. And so I want to just take you to the screen. We secretly want a one-size-fits-all God so that, so that the first point is we want God to meet our personal preferences. There are things that are important to me in life that I want God to think are important. I bet there are probably three or four things that you could rattle off right now that are important to you that you think they should be important to God. We all kind of think that way. And so when it comes to God, when it comes to putting our faith in God, when it comes to thinking about, hey, how do God and I line up, does he care about my personal preferences? And can I make him in my image? You know, that one size fits all. Can I customize him to what I want him to be, right? So sometimes the pressure for us to kind of create this one size fits all God comes from our fact that we want to, we have specific preferences we want God to look like and be like, feel like, all that kind of stuff. The other thing is, this is very superficial, but I think we've all been in this category. We just want people to like us. (laughs) It's not real spiritual, but I think it is very true. We just want people to like us. When it comes to what we believe about Jesus deep down, we just go, I just hope people like me. I just hope my faith doesn't cause a ruckus, right? I just hope it doesn't create a stir. I just want people to kind of like me. And sometimes you and I can take our faith because Jesus made some very distinct claims about who he was. And sometimes we can take our faith and we can go, well, I know you said that, Jesus, but I'm, yeah, let's, let's don't talk about that. You know, I know you said you were like this, but let's, let's don't enhance that. Let's, let's enhance this part and not this part. Because if I do that, if I go with this part, if I go with what Jesus said about himself or what God said about him, if I believe that, that, that could end some friendships with me. It can make people not want to like me. And like it or not, I think we have to kind of admit that we kind of run it through that filter at times. I want to read a a quote to you. Most Christians are afraid of appearing intolerant or arrogant. I think most Christians are afraid of appearing intolerant or arrogant because of what we believe. And so there's a lot of pressure to conform. If we feel like whatever we believe will get us in trouble with our culture, we feel immense pressure to change what we believe to go with the norm. To go with, you know, just don't, don't believe all the, you know, all the really distinctive claims that Jesus said. Just kind of believe in the love Jesus. Hey, that, hey, let's all go with that one because the culture will love that more. And it, but, but if I believe who Jesus says he was, then, oh my gosh, that, that's going to make me sound intolerant or arrogant. So we feel the pressure to be nice. We feel the pressure to conform. Now, I'm talking mainly to Christians, and, I, and, and so in just a few minutes, I want to talk to you. If you're, if you're not a believer in Jesus, I'm so glad you're here. And I'm so glad that you're watching because we're going to talk about you in just a second. But we are afraid, most Christians are afraid of appearing intolerant or arrogant. Now, some don't. <laughs> some don't, right? 
I'm sure all of us have probably ran into somebody who claims that they follow Jesus and they were very, they were very abrasive, uh, rude actually. And uh, it just felt very, oh, this just doesn't feel right. Well, most Christians are afraid of appearing intolerant or arrogant. I wanna read this next, this next quote to you. There is a difference between disagreeing with what someone else believes and being unwilling to tolerate or accept the person who holds those beliefs. There's a difference. This should be freeing and liberating to you and me. There is a difference between disagreeing with what someone else believes and being unwilling to tolerate and accept the person who holds those beliefs. It's so interesting that because of the things that Jesus claimed in his life, The people that loved him the most was the culture that he lived in, not the religious leaders, but the people that he met every day. They loved him, but yet he had some very distinct views about life, about himself, about God. And so what we've got to figure out, what we've got to figure out in our relationship with God, wherever we are on the the spectrum, there's a difference between disagreeing with what someone else believes and then being unwilling to tolerate or accept the person who holds those beliefs. We don't want to treat people if they're different from you, different from me, or if we're different from you know, other people. We all have value, and we don't want to treat people in, in just weird ways and, and make people upset. And here's the why. And Mo, Moses wrote in the book of Genesis, he said, listen, people bear the image of God regardless of what they believe. People bear the image of God. So we want to respect and honor everybody regardless of what they believe. But especially in a culture where you believe, if you're a Christ follower, you believe something very distinct. Okay? And we're going to talk a little bit about that in just um, just a minute. Um, So why do I want you to listen? If you're not a Christian, I'm going to tell you why you struggle with Christians or Christianity. I'm going to tell you why you have a big problem with Christianity. If you are a Christ follower, I'm going to talk to you and we're going to have a little just conversation about what is it do we really believe? And so in these next few minutes together, we're going to, we're going to dive into that. Now, uh, the writer John in the New Testament, uh, John is uh, one of Jesus's closest friends. He's, he's one of the disciples. Uh, disciple means learner. They all became apostles because the word apostle means sent forth. So after Jesus's resurrection, they switched from being disciples to now apostles because they were sent from Jesus to all the world to make disciples. So John wrote, Apostle John, who's very close to Jesus, he also, he also was there and saw Jesus after the resurrection. He didn't witness the resurrection. N- nobody did. But he was there after when Jesus started appearing back to the disciples and showing him. And so John was like, I saw him with my eyes. I mean, I saw what he did. So, so he's recording this conversation Jesus is having with his disciples. And Jesus says, guys, listen, I want you to trust God, trust also in me. He said, I don't want you to be afraid because I'm getting ready to tell you something very important. I'm getting ready to leave here. I'm getting ready to go away. And basically he's communicating, I'm I'm getting ready to go to heaven and I'm going to be preparing rooms for you. And if it weren't so, I would have told you. And so I'm going to come back and get you and take you to be with me where I am. And Jesus says, you know where I'm going. And Thomas speaks up. Thomas goes, whoa, 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 you know, 
Jesus, no, we don't know where you're going. Where are you going? <laughs> and we're scared now. And we're all trying to figure out what, what we need to do. And Jesus is like, listen, guys, please do not worry. And then he starts into this scripture. <clears throat> Jesus told him, he said, Thomas and the rest of you guys, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Now, I want to pause right here just for a second. That is a very distinct claim Jesus made. Okay? Here's, here's, here's one of the things that I've kind of learned in my life as I've been following Jesus. Uh, learning how to wrestle with some of his largest and biggest and boldest claims personally. What does this mean? And what does this mean for me? He is saying, I'm the way, truth, and life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Next screen. If you had really known me, if you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Why? Because Jesus is the Son of God. And he's saying, I'm God, and I've been with you all along. Next screen. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and we'll be all satisfied. And haven't you ever said that to God? God, just show yourself and we'll all be satisfied. If you just show up, if you just do this, part the clouds, answer the prayer, make yourself known, come into the door, you know, show us, provide the money, you know, provide that, show up. God, if you just show up, you can make all this simple. Philip says, Lord, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. Come on, man, quit playing around with us. Give us the deal. And Jesus replied, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Have I been with you all this time, Philip, yet you still don't know who I am? Have you ever felt that way? You ever kind of felt like, man, I've been around this stuff for a long time. I've been around teaching for a long time and church for a long time, but I'm still not understanding. Jesus' next phrase, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And this is the statement that God Jesus killed and crucified. He claimed he was God. He said, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Here's what's so distinctive about Jesus. Here's what's distinctive. It's not uncommon for people to make bold claims in, in our world today, is it? I mean, we kind of see in the culture and we, we hear people, on, we watch them on Twitter or maybe uh, you know, on the news or whatever. We see lots of people make big, bold claims. It's not uncommon to hear someone say, you know, we're going to make these big sweeping changes and it's all going to be awesome and, you know, it's going to make everybody's lives better and that kind of thing. That's not anything new. What's new is when somebody makes a big, bold claim and they back it up. That's when all of a sudden we go, man, there's credibility there. They did what they said they were going to do. The difference of what Jesus does and, and the difference of what we see and how he lived his life, he claimed he was God and three days later, he got up from the dead he made this big audacious claim that I am God and then three days later proved it. And if you're going to make an audacious claim, you need to back it up. And he did. And here's the big idea. And here's what I want us to, you know, really wrestle around. Uh, 
Jesus is the way to God. This is what he claimed. I'm the, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And, and here's, here's what this means. Jesus is the way to God. There is no other way. I want to read a quote to you. We don't have a problem saying Jesus is the way to God. We have a problem saying he is the only way to God. That's a very distinct belief. That's a very distinct belief. Jesus says, I'm the only way. There is no other way. That's a very distinct belief. But he is the only way to God. He is the only one that gives us access to the Father. It's through him and his sacrifice on the cross. And that God gives us forgiveness and and, uh, eternal life. And life in the present as well. So he's the way to God. Second of all, he's the truth of God. Here's what I I learned early on in my faith. And and I'm still learning this out and still trying to process this as well. I came to God. I came uh, uh, to God when I was a senior in high school. And there's a lot I didn't know about Jesus then. Uh, what changed my life was that um, I had a relationship with uh, a guy who in- invested in me and poured into my life. And he said, listen, God's got a greater plan for you. And I want you to understand what it means. And he taught me how to have a relationship with God. I didn't know what he was talking about. I really didn't care to go to church. I, I had no interest in it whatsoever. But But here's what Here's how God grabbed my heart. Number one, he grabbed my heart because he sent the message loud and clear that I have paid the price for you. And I want you to follow me and give, and I want to give your life purpose. What what I wasn't sure about, like I love that part of following Jesus because it empowered me. It gave me a new purpose to live in. But what, what I wasn't sure about was there's a lot of beliefs I had at the time that were weird about God. (laughs) <laughs> I know none of y'all have ever had a weird belief about God. There were a lot of beliefs about God that just weren't true. They just weren't true. The only, uh, the only uh, pastoral leader at that point in my life, I just did not have a lot of respect for. So I thought God was just kind of a wimpy God. It's like, man, if you're representing God, I don't really want to have anything to do with you. And so God had to change my mind. He had to change my truth of what I believed. And and this happens over years and years and years and years. And the things that are important to God, the truth of God, started becoming my truth. And things that I've, crazy jacked up mess that I believed, God started replacing it for what he said, hey, here's what's important to me. And I want it to be important to, to you. Not because I'm forcing you, but because God... You have loved me, you've saved me, and you are changing the way that I think about our world, about people, about you. So the truth of God, it's not my truth, not your truth. Our truth changes to his truth. And then finally, the life from God. Here's what was powerful for me, and I think what a lot of you have experienced is when Jesus comes and invades your heart, it changes your life. It changes the way you see the future. It changes the way that you live. It changes the power that you have available in your life. Jesus actually said in the New Testament, he goes, the same power that was in me, that raised me up from the resurrection is in you. What? 
So Jesus isn't here saying, I just want you to believe something. He's saying, no, 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 I want to infuse your life with power you don't have right now, but you will, because I'm going to send you out in some places in the world. I'm going to send you out in some places in the United States. I'm going to send you out into some places in North Carolina where you're going to feel very unequipped, but because you have the spirit of God in you, you will now have the life of Christ to be able to walk in and conquer the things that God has put before you. That's what it means to have the life of the life from God. C.S. Lewis called this the trilemma. <clears throat> C.S. Lewis was an Oxford uh, professor in England, and he was an atheist at one time, and then he became a Christian. And uh, he uh, studied Jesus' uh, pr- proclamations everything Jesus proclaimed uh, throughout Matthew's record, Mark's record, Luke's record, John's record, and others. And uh, he said, if you take into account what Jesus claimed and what he said, you're, you're left with a trilemma is what he called it, not a dilemma, a trilemma. Number one, he claimed he was God. So number one, he's either a lunatic, he's either God or he's a, or he's a lunatic. People don't profess to be God unless maybe there's just, you know, there's some chemicals that that need to be reworked in the brain. That's just the way that it works. People don't profess to be God unless there's something off. Number two, and Jesus didn't display that kind of behavior. Number two, he was a liar. So he was either a lunatic or he was a liar. And his basis of that was, why would the person who, who, who promoted truth all of his life be the biggest liar in the world? He said, so I don't think he was a lunatic or I don't think he was a liar. And the last option for us to receive is he's Lord. He claimed to be Lord. He didn't claim to be a good teacher. That's not what, now he, people have described him as that, but that's not what he claimed he was. He claimed he was Lord. So it's either he is or he isn't is the question for the world. <clears throat> if you're a Christian, I want to talk to you at first, and then I want to talk to those of you who uh, you haven't quite made up your mind yet, and you're still unsure, and you know your wife or your husband maybe convinced you to come here. You're a student, and you're just like, yeah, I probably need to whatever. <clears throat> our, 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 our kids need it, so we're going to show up. Um, if you're a Christian, I, w- I want to ask you a, a question. <clears throat> How do we maintain our faith in Jesus in a culture that values tolerance? This was the question that kept just running over and over in my mind as I'm thinking about putting this talk together. How do we maintain our faith in Jesus in a culture that values tolerance? And here's why this question is important. What you believe as a Christ follower is very polarizing. Very polarizing. It's very distinct. It's very specific. It's not gray. It's black and white. Like it's very distinct. So because if you're a Christ follower and you're watching, you have some very distinct beliefs. Well, how do we live, maintain our faith in our culture that values tolerance? Number one, I want you to think about what, know your what and your why. Know your what and your why. What do I believe about Jesus and about God and about people? And what do I believe and why do I believe that? 
all the students in the room, I want you to um, listen to what I'm getting ready to say. There's going to come a point in time when you move away from your mom and daddy's faith. And you're going to have to decide what you believe and why you believe it. What you believe and why you believe it. You're not a Christian here. We're so glad that you're here. You're watching online. You're going, hey, I'm just going to check this out. Hey, what do you believe and why do you believe it? Think about that. What do you believe? If, if you don't believe in Jesus, that's, that's okay. It's not what we prefer. But if that's your choice, what do you believe and why do you believe it? How did you get there? We need to know very clear what we believe and why. Number two, how do we maintain our faith in a culture that values tolerance? People nothing like Jesus like Jesus. People nothing like Jesus like Jesus. And this is what, this is not a new phrase with me, but this is so powerful. And this gives me hope because it tells me that we can hold some very distinct views. Yet our, we will still have the ability to influence our culture because that's what Jesus did. He didn't back down on what he believed, but he sure did go influence the culture. I'm convinced that people who are not believers do not necessarily have a problem with what Christians believe. I think they have a problem with our approach. I think they have a problem with our approach of, of what we believe, at least the ones that I've talked to. And you'll hear them say, and you'll, you'll hear people say and friends say, hey, I just, that drives me nuts. Why do y'all do that? Why do y'all... You know, what, what, your approach just is turning people off. Can, can you modify it a little bit? Can you maybe tone it down or can you find another way to communicate, you know? I think people are afraid we're going to judge them. If you're like me, I spend a, you know, a lot of time in conversations with people. And the moment people find out I'm a pastor, uh, pretty much just the conversation down, Right? It's just, you know, it's that feeling when you get on the interstate and everybody's going 80. And then the state trooper decides to hop on right in the middle of all that. <laughs> and all of you go, Arr! you know, you're down to like 63, you know. I've been good all the time, you know, you know that kind of thing. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like that spiritual cop in conversations of I'm just trying to talk to people. I'm just trying to get to know people. And then people start editing their conversations around me. It's like, man, he's listening. He's going to judge you. He's going to, yeah, man, don't say that in front of him. He's like, you know. And I'm not doing that at all. I don't want to be perceived that way. But, you know, sometimes that comes with the territory. I, I understand that. But I think people are afraid we're going to judge them. And Paul wrote, it's not our business to judge people outside the church. It's to encourage people inside. And so I think we need to adjust our approach. I think we need to change our approach. Jesus, Jesus wasn't a jerk. The only, the only people that he was a jerk to was people that were in the religious establishment fighting him. Fighting him. We've even gone so far to change our approach is that we've tried to build a church that unchurched people would love to attend. And we've tried to remove roadblocks and we've tried to remove all the things that can feel confusing when you go to church to make it easy to adjust our approach so that people who don't know God at all will feel comfortable 
in this environment as they're watching or as they show up, that's, that's how far we've gone. And then the uh, third point I want to make is <clears throat> if we want to be able to maintain our faith in a culture that values tolerance, I think we've got to learn that a different view doesn't mean a different value. There was a time uh, when I was a senior in high school, and I wasn't necessarily a Christian, but I've been raised in a Christian home. And, uh, and I remember walking out of the library there in Greenville, South Carolina, and I remember there was a guy from a different religion, and he was giving out tracts. And I was just young and dumb and stupid and just, you know, didn't think anything about it. But he, uh, <clears throat> he said, hey, I want, you to, I want you to read this on your way home. And it was obvious something very different from Christianity. So I had enough home training. <laughs> I had enough home training to realize this, this wasn't about Jesus. So I took this track and I crumpled it up and I threw it right back in his face. Because in my mind, I'm thinking, I've always been raised a certain way. I've always been raised that I'm right. And if anything comes up against that view, it's not to be tolerated. Now, my parents didn't raise me that way. Those were just some weird, faulty thinking that I just developed on my own. But in that moment, I'm going, to me, a different view meant a different value. You're not valuable to God. Get out of here. And I think what we've got to do to have influence in our culture is when we have different views, it doesn't mean that they have a different value to God. We're all made in the image of God. All of our opinions may be different. All of our views are not equal but all people are. So, I want to ask you a final question. I want to ask you a final question. Imagine in your family, your church, your friendships, your connections. Imagine if people nothing like Jesus liked you. What would that be like? Imagine if people, nothing like Jesus, liked you. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I just want to say something from my heart, very personal here, uh, if you're watching or in the room. I want to apologize on behalf of Christians who meant well. We meant well. I've meant well over the years. But we have communicated some sort of a devaluing because you don't believe what we believe. Now, we do believe that Jesus is the only way. We're not going to back down from our beliefs. But we also believe that everyone is made in the image of God. And as part of it changing a culture, as part of changing people, as part of influencing people who live in our culture, guess what we've got to do? We've got, we got to do some things we've never done before. And you know what? We've got to show some respect to some people who believe something very different from us. We've got to respect their views as hard as that may be because influence comes from respect and that's what we're after. How would your life look different if people nothing like Jesus liked you? What would you need to change about your life for people nothing like Jesus to like you? And I'm not saying we all go over, you know, and start, you know, you, you understand what I'm, what I'm saying here.
How would your life change if people nothing like Jesus liked you? That's our goal as Christ followers. That's our goal for people who are walking in here for the first time and they don't know Jesus at all and they're just experiencing this. We sing songs every weekend because we've done it for 20 years. People walk in and go, the only time I sing in public is the national anthem. You don't want me to sing in public. (laughs) So I just want us to open up our minds a little bit and understand that we are now, God has put us in an amazing time and opportunity where people, nothing like Jesus, can now like us. And we can build bridges and connections and friendships and leverage those relationships for what he can do in their life. I want you to bow your heads and I want to pray for you. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for my friends in this room. Uh, I know there are some people in here that do not believe anything that I just talked about. And I pray for their heart. Thank you so much that they're here, that they're a part of us. They belong here. And thank you so much for bringing them here. And I I pray for... um, them as they're trying to process all this God stuff and what it means because it's all new or they're hearing it new for the first time in a long time. And I pray that you would help them take the next step of what they believe about you. It's all about Jesus. And God, I pray for all of those in the room who say they are a Christ follower. And I pray that Lord, each of us in this room who claim that we are a Christ follower would learn how to be able to connect with people who are nothing, who are nothing like you, Lord, so that we could influence them. Help us to think outside the box. Help us to respect other people and what they believe, but help us to have a burning desire of the truth that resides in our heart and help us to be able to contextualize that into our culture. Thank you so much for the Summit Church. In Jesus' name, amen.